Amen. Please be seated. Let's turn to God's Word, to Romans chapter 8, on page 1135. We'll read from verse 18, but we're going to look at verses 26 to 27. Before I do that, can I again just uh, encourage those of you who are new, not just students, um, but students, especially since it's Freshers' Week, to... uh, When you're here in Dundee, get involved in a church, get involved uh, in the CU, and if you've got any questions, please do ask. Uh, I know one or two people had asked me already about uh, helping with the music. Uh, Speak to Crawford, who was leading this morning, or Colin Mackay, if you don't know who he is, just ask at the door. And one thing I would strongly encourage you to do is keep Sunday as the Lord's Day. You've got six days to do all your work. Keep Sunday as the Lord's Day, a day of rest, a day of fellowship, a day of worship, a day of learning about God, and uh, I encourage you especially to come along this evening as Sinclair continues to look at the book of Proverbs. But let's turn to Romans 8 and verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us, for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. And then especially these words, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. For he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. I'm going to look at these two verses. I would hoped to do that last week, but we kind of ran out of time, and I know you wanted to go home for dinner. So I just changed things. Um, And I'm glad I did, because it's given more time to reflect on the Holy Spirit and especially prayer. Now, there's a kind of fallacy that's kind of deeply ingrained in Christian culture on, in, in, in different churches, and it, it goes like this. There are Christians who are really into the Word, and they're very intellectual, dead smart, and they like talking all the time. I, I get placed in that category. I'm not sure about the dead smart bit, but the, the rest of it. You know, so you go to churches, and they're really into the Word, and, you know, you'll never see a flicker of emotion. Well, you might see a flicker. The Presbyterian hand raising is the eyebrow going up, right? So that's about it. You never, you, you don't, you know, and, and some of you, you know, I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. Why weren't you clapping? Well, because we're into the Word, and we don't do that. Well, why not? The Word says you do it, right? So there's, a, there's, a, there's a, that kind of attitude. And then other people say, well, we're really into the Spirit, and I have people come to me and say, David, I really, really like what you do in the church, but we just need more of the Spirit. And so they go to a church where there's 
speaking in tongues and where there's words of prophecy. And when it all seems really exciting because God is speaking to them direct there and then. You're going to marry so-and-so. You're going to do this. God is working in here. Isn't this wonderful? And then there are people who go, if only we could just kind of have the two things together. And I want to say there's a kind of false understanding of what being in the spirit means and what being spiritual means and also what being in the word means. Because this chapter, Romans chapter 8, is absolutely filled with the Spirit. And one of the things that disturbs me about a a lot of churches where they emphasize we're really in the Spirit is I really doubt whether they are. I think sometimes we equate being excited with being in the Spirit, just as in the same way you can get, you know, people who, who equate being somber with being in the Word. Well, both of those are false pictures. Being in the Spirit doesn't mean that you're kind of, you know, I mean, I I just hate being told what to do. So if I go to a church and they tell me not to clap my hands, I'm very inclined to do it. Uh, If if I go to a church and they say, you don't really love Jesus unless you're doing the whole, you know, arm-waving thing. And and, and I'm going, right, I'm like that. And not because I'm Presbyterian, just because I'm disobedient. And I just, you know, don't don't insist on outward expressions. But, but the trouble is, what happens in a lot of the churches that are, I guess, people call more charismatic is people have this desperate desire to experience and feel the Spirit, and so they open themselves up to false spirits. And there's so much craziness and wackiness goes on. But in reaction to that, you get people who are, inverted commas, reformed, who are terrified of anything to do with the Spirit. They'll say they're not, but often they are. So with that in mind, I think Romans 8 is fascinating because it's full of the Spirit. Now, you'll note verses 2 to 8, it's the Spirit who helps us fulfill the law. Verses 9 to 13, it's the Spirit who helps subdue our sinful nature. Verses 14 to 17, it's the Spirit who assures us of our adoption. Verses 18 to 23, it's the Spirit who guarantees our inheritance. He's the deposit. Now, You'll notice that straight away. What many people associate with the Spirit, so for example, ecstatic worship or receiving words of knowledge, it's not mentioned at all here. And when you look at what the work of the Spirit is, there is an imbalance that occurs when people say they're emphasizing the work of the Spirit. And I say, no, no, no. What does the Word say that the Spirit does? And then here's this extraordinary thing. The Spirit helps us in our prayer. And these verses have often puzzled me. Um, Many years ago, I used to think, well, this refers to speaking in tongues. You know, the spirit groans, and uh, what I'd heard of speaking in tongues, it was pretty groany. Uh, And I, I thought, well, maybe that's what it is. Maybe this is what is being referred to. But it's not. So we're going to look at this, just these two verses, and some, basically some basic principles of prayer. Um, I'm just going to take them from this verse. First is hugely important. You'll notice from this, from the rest of Romans, that prayer is Trinitarian. Prayer is access to the Father through the Son by the Spirit. You... You can't pray without the Spirit. And when someone says, well, I'm praying, but let's say, for example, they don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and they say, I'm praying to God. No, you're not. You're not praying to God. 
And when someone says, so for example, people say, well, I, I, I really think we should all pray together. I won't go to a joint prayer meeting with Muslims because we're not praying to the same God. We're not. And it's a fallacy and a lie to pretend that we are. But for that same reason, I personally won't join in prayer with liberal Christians who deny that Jesus is the Son of God because we're not praying to the same God. Prayer is real. The, the, the emphasis that we tend to have in prayer is on what we do, but the emphasis in the Bible is on who we are praying to. And so prayer is essentially Trinitarian. But the second thing is, and those of us who are Christians know this, prayer is difficult. I find it fascinating. There was a survey that came out this week which said that 54% of people in Scotland say they have no religion. And the decline in the Church of England is down within about 20 years. There'll be nobody going to the Church of England. It's down to below 2% people claiming to be Church of England. The decline in the Church of Scotland is just as catastrophic. But you get all this, but you still get lots of people saying, yeah, but I believe in prayer. Well, who are you praying to? You know, I believe in prayer. I don't believe in God, but I believe in prayer. Well, what does that mean? You believe in talking to yourself? You believe that just by expressing things, by being, inverted commas, spiritual? No, prayer. When There's a Christian campaign called Try Praying, and and in in some ways it's a good thing. But I almost want to, to say, well, no, you can't. You're not a Christian. How can you pray? What do you mean try praying? It's not an experiment. We come to the living God. But for Christians, we know that prayer is difficult. Why do we know? Because we're weak. Look at verse 26. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. Well, what is our weakness? Other parts of scriptures would tell us it's our sin, it's our selfishness, it's Satan, it's the devil. So sin, self, and Satan, the unholy trinity, attacking us. But here's something different that's emphasized. It's ignorance. We do not know what we ought to pray for. We are not good judge of what we need. In the free church tradition, you used to have prayer meetings where uh, men only were asked to pray. And you didn't pray. It wasn't that we had open prayer. Someone was asked to pray. And I remember on one of those occasions that, um, you know, I I forgot that you were supposed to ask them before. Um, But I was quite, you know, spiritual and spontaneous. And I remember asking a guy to pray and he refused and I spoke to him afterwards and said, what was, what's the problem? And he says, I can't pray like them. I don't know what to say. And I know what he meant because there were people who were praying who were incredibly eloquent and, and who sounded great. But it was quite ironic because one of the people who'd prayed, um, I knew that his life was a mess. I knew there was a lot of stuff that it was just words. And this Christian brother was so scared of praying in public Sometimes when we have open prayer, people say, oh, I can't pray, I can't pray, because, you know, what would I say? And actually, that's not a bad attitude in some ways. Paul says, we're weak. We don't know what to pray for. We're not good judges of what we need, and we're not good judges of what others need. It's why the disciples came to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us how to pray. I want to suggest to you that if you're the kind of person who says, you know this, I have no problem with prayer. I just go to my dad and I just tell him what I want. You haven't understood who God is, who you are, and what prayer is. Prayer is actually really, really difficult. 
It's the most wonderful thing we can do, but it's why most people here know that it's wonderful and don't do it as much as we should or in a way that we should. It's difficult because we are weak. Thirdly, prayer is always spiritual. That is, always of the Holy Spirit. It's impossible without the Spirit. It's not just form or not just formula. I love the Book of Common Prayer, the Anglican Book of Common Prayer. I love reading the Valley of Vision, which is a book of prayers. I don't think it's wrong to read prayers. But it is wrong just to have the formula. There are Christians who say, I don't, I, I, I don't read prayers. I just pray spontaneously. And yet, I can pretty well guarantee you that every CU I go to in this country, the prayers will be virtually the same. Because we all go, it goes through fashions. I mean, when I was in university a long time ago, the word just was used for 50% of the time you didn't pray. Lord, we just want to thank you for this. We just want to do this. We just want to... And you got to a point where you want to say, stop saying just. But other people have different things, different ways where the words are used like a kind of spiritual punctuation. And I'm not saying that's necessarily bad, but I am saying when you say, oh, I don't use formulas, I don't use written prayers, and you pray the same way all the time, well, you are using an unwritten formula. Uh, some of us here grew up in the Christian brethren for whom written prayers would be anathema. But I'll tell you this, you stepped out of the bounds of the way brethren are supposed to pray. That was anathema too. It might as well have been written down. It was the unwritten law of the Medes and Persians. You know, it, our, our prayer has to be spiritual, has to be of the Holy Spirit. And what, what does that mean? It means, as we go on to see here, it's just got to be real. We struggle in prayer because so much of it is merely external, merely going through the ritual, merely repeating words. And so fourthly this, these verses tell us we have help in prayer. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. John Murray, in writing about this, uh, has just, just, for me, this is just a wonderful thing. He says, the children of God have two divine intercessors. Christ is their intercessor in the court of heaven. The Holy Spirit is the intercessor in the theater of their own hearts. Jesus is praying for us in heaven, and these verses teach us the Spirit is praying for us in our own hearts. Can we just expand the two of those a little bit? Hebrews 7.25, Jesus is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. In uh, some church cultures, the ministers or the priests the pastors are considered to have special access to God. You know, I was kind of telling the kids, you know, let it be. When I find myself in times of trouble, Mother Mary comes to me speaking words of wisdom, let it be. Well, apologies to those of you who are of a Catholic background. Uh, Mother Mary, you don't need Mother Mary because she, he, Mother Mary is not God. Jesus is God. Jesus never taught us to pray to Mary. This is a crazy idea that, well, if I talk to Jesus' mom, then she'll tell him what to do. You know, that's honestly, that's the thinking behind it. No. 
Mary was an absolutely astonishing and wonderful woman, but she was a sinner as well. And Jesus, her son, was her savior. And we can go direct to Jesus. But we do find that people will say, well, I'll pray for you. And there are some people's prayers who do seem more powerful than others. There are people, you wonder what's been going on, and then you discover that they've been praying for you, and I think that's wonderful. But isn't it more wonderful that we have the Son of God praying for us? My dear children, 1 John 2, I write this to you so we will not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. So you've sinned, and you say, David, could you pray for me, please? I'm in a mess, and I'll pray for you. But let me tell you something even better. Jesus is praying for you. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, and he's praying for you. And he knows everything. And he's praying for you. And he's interceding for you. Those of you who are not Christians, there's a sense in which I would advise you not to become a Christian, because it's way too hard, and it's way too tough, and you'll never make it. If it wasn't for the fact that Jesus gives you his Holy Spirit, and Jesus is with you, and Jesus is interceding for you. I was thinking about this this week, about Jesus praying for me and thinking, do I I really believe that? Because if I really believed it, it would make a fundamental change to my attitude to so many things. But then there's the Holy Spirit. What's, What's this about the Holy Spirit praying for us? He intercedes for us. That's what we're told. Twice we're told in these verses, he intercedes for us. And that comes from what Jesus said in John 14, 16. I will ask the Father... And he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. Or John fifteen twenty six, when the advocate comes whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. This is what the Spirit does. If you're looking for the Spirit to, to, to make you work miracles or to fill you with power or, or to make you feel really, really close all the time, you, you've misunderstood who the Holy Spirit is. He testifies about Christ, he points to Christ, and he is there to help you. And he's there to help you live a Christian life and follow Jesus Christ. The Spirit intercedes, we're told, and the Spirit helps according to God's will. And I love this idea of help. You've got a wee girl. She's six years old, and she decides she wants to cook. You're not going to really let her loose in the kitchen. Forgive me for the sexist analogy, but I'll stick with it. So mum or dad uh, is there in the kitchen. So the wee six-year-old is trying to make pancakes, trying to do all that kind of stuff. You don't leave her on her own. You help her. You let her do it, but you help her. And it's the same. You've got a small child who wants to, to ride a bike. Right? Well, you help them. You encourage them. And then they grow up, and they can do it so much better. Um, I was away with Emma Jane this week on a wee cycle thing, and I was, don't worry, pet, I'll help you, and we'll not go too fast. And after about an hour, I realized the boot was on the other foot. <laughs> uh, don't worry, Dad, I'll, 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 I'll not run ahead of you. Um, because she'd all grown up. She knew how to ride her bike. She's fit and strong and healthy. That's what happens with prayer, I think. It's, it's, it's the... The Spirit aids and helps us. Those people who think, well, I can pray. I can do this. No, you can't. You need the Spirit to help you. So we have help in prayer. 
But also then, prayer is intense. Look what he says. The Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. What does that mean? Now, it's not speaking in tongues. Why do we know that? Well, it's obvious, isn't it? Tongues is not. Tongues is other languages. It's not wordless. That's the point. Tongues was a gift given at Pentecost, which enabled people to hear the gospel in their own language. That was there, and and other arguments are made that it's a heavenly language and so on, but it's definitely a language. That's not what's being talked about here. What is being talked about here? Rather than wordless groans, as the NIV translates it, some people talk about it as being almost unspeakable or not spoken. In other words, it's something that's going really, really deep within us. That is, language is used to communicate something. But this is the very essence of that. And the, the word that's used carries this idea of agony and agonized longings. Now, how can the spirit groan in that way? We've seen in the verses before, the creation groans. There are earthquakes. There are tsunamis and so on. And we've seen that the believer groans. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly because for our redemption, because, because we suffer. So what does it mean when the spirit groans? And he's using the same word, the spirit God's Holy Spirit does not have imperfections. He does not groan with frustration. He does not groan um, because, you know, he's suffering physical pain as we do. The idea here is of identity. The Spirit identifying with us. The Spirit, we feel something really deeply We are scared to express it. We don't know how to express it. Sometimes we don't even know what we feel. We are so scared sometimes to let the thoughts that are in us come to the surface. We don't know what to do. So much of our mind, 90% of our mind is subconscious. And the stuff that gets poured in and sometimes the stuff out of the heart comes evil and so on. It's, It's, we're scared at sometimes the intensity of our own feelings. Have you ever lost your temper with such a rage that you could have killed somebody and that you freaked out at how angry you were? What was inside you that came out? Well, there's a sense in which we find it really difficult to express our longings. We find it really difficult to express our fears. We look back at the creation suffering and we cry out, oh Lord, how long? We, we look at ourselves and we are deeply discouraged and we are deeply depressed and we don't know how to pray because everything seems so trite. Everything seems so trivial. The person who comes along and says, well, just bless Jesus. But you don't want to bless Jesus. You, you're, you're struggling. And that's the idea here of The Spirit takes our longings. The Spirit works within us. The Spirit gives us longings. And that's why I love Murray's expression of the theater of our hearts. What's going on inside us is a drama that no television station could make that could never appear on Netflix. And it's much more interesting and much deeper. And the Spirit is right there and He's helping us. And that's why prayer is real and deep. Prayer is Trinitarian. It's difficult because we're weak. It's spiritual of the Spirit. We have help. It's intense and it's real. Psalm 38, all my longings lie before you, Lord. My sighing is not hidden from you. You can't fake it with God. You can fake it with 
absolutely everybody else. Some of you here, you, you know your fakes. You know you fake today. You know how easy it is to fake it. I've seen a man stand up in this pulpit and preach a passionate sermon about Jesus Christ and then go out and in that same week commit adultery. He was faking. And it blows your mind when you see that happening because you think, how, how is that possible? People lie, people cheat, people fake, people lie to themselves as well. But here's the extraordinary thing about prayer. You can fake everything except prayer with God. Oh, you can fake prayer to other people, but you're not praying to other people. You're praying to God. And I think that's one of the major difficulties. Psalm 7 verse 9, you, the righteous God who probes minds and hearts. When you really start praying to God, God probes your mind and your heart. The crucible for silver and the furnace for gold, says Proverbs 17.3, but the Lord tests the heart. And then Jesus, in Revelation 2, writing to the church, I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, I know what you're like. I know that you're hypocrites. I know that you're liars. I know that you are pretending to worship me. I know it. You can't. You can't fake it with Jesus. And that's why, in a strange kind of way, the person who is is struggling with things and is deeply discouraged and cries out to God and says things which don't seem to fit into the, into the box of how we're supposed to be as Christians, that's why that person's probably more real in prayer than the person who says all the right things. Because they don't, they don't mean them. That's why the Psalms, by the way, are so great, because the Psalms are great vehicles to allow you to say things that you didn't think you were allowed to say, to allow you to question God, to allow you to express anger, to allow you to cry out. Because it's the longings of our hearts, isn't it? He who searches our hearts. It's what he's talking about here. Verse 23. um, They groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. So prayer expresses our desires. So if you're uh, the kind of person who prays, you're 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 a man who prays, Lord, please get me a wife. Get me a wife. Get me a wife. I'm praying for that. But if that's the desire of your heart, your desire is not for God. You can pray for that. You pray for food. You pray for lots of different things. But what's the desire of our heart? And that's why we need the Spirit to come, and that's why we need our hearts to be changed, and that's why our longing needs to be for God and for His glory. Because the last thing is this. Prayer is done according to the will of God. But how do we know what the will of God is? Lord, I've heard people pray, Lord, I believe you for five people to be saved. I believe you for ten people. But why five? Why ten? Why not a hundred? Why not a thousand? You, you, it's because you think that you're prayer and you think I've got enough faith to persuade God for that. Who, who are you dealing with? This is God you're dealing with. You don't believe God for it. God hasn't told you five people are going to be saved and he hasn't told you ten people are going to be saved. And you can't manipulate God. You can't. Prayer is done according to the will of God, but what's God's will? My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. The Spirit knows. The Spirit knows. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians that we have 
the mind of God. We have the Spirit. That's what the Spirit comes from. I said that was the last thing. That wasn't true. Um, Neither is this. This is the last one just now. But prayer can be done with confidence. See, if the confidence is in me and the confidence is in my ability and or the confidence is in the church or the confidence is in the fact that I prayed for two hours and I did it for seven days in a row or I did 24-7 prayer, God owes me big time. God owes you nothing. You'll praise God for all eternity and he won't owe you a single thing. That's, that's not how prayer works. But this is how prayer works. This is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. So God gives us these desires in our hearts and there's this connection, this fellowship between us and God. Prayer is the ultimate intimacy that we have with God. Calvin, and he had to come, said this, the Spirit is said to intercede not because he really humbles himself to pray or to groan, but because he stirs up in our hearts those desires which we ought to entertain. And he also affects our hearts in such a way that these desires by their fervency penetrate into heaven itself. Why did God give you that desire? A number of years ago, when I was very, very ill, a number of people were given a great desire. I, I was utterly astonished to receive letters from people. And it's funny, they all mentioned the same time. We were woken up at three in the morning and told to pray for you. Malaysians, who'd, Malaysian Baptists, who'd never met me or anything, woken up at three in the morning. Somebody in Australia, somebody in America, some people here. I think God gave them a fervency of desire, and I do believe that was healed in answer to prayer. But I had a, a colleague at the same time who was ill, who was also a minister, who died. Did God not answer prayer? Yes, he did. But sometimes it's just different. And sometimes somebody is laid on your heart. Sometimes God just gives you something. And we shouldn't despise that. In fact, we should be thankful for it. Sometimes you get a burden. And I wonder if one of the things we ought not to pray for is that God would give us burdens for people instead of the shallow and trivial and generalized prayers that we so often pray. Again, Calvin, this is a remarkable reason for strengthening our confidence that we are heard by God when we pray through his spirit, for he thoroughly knows our desires, even as the thoughts of his own spirit. Prayer is a level of intimacy with God that is so intense that you've never experienced anything like it. And you long for it. You long for it. And we pray for it. Now, we're going to sing um, these verses, and then I want to just come back and, and uh, offer some advice on how we can participate in this. So we're going to sing from Romans 8. Um, it's uh, the paraphrased version of that that the Free Church has produced. And the tune, I think, is Aurelia. Our present grief and sufferings are not to be compared with the eternal glory that it for us is prepared. We'll stand and sing this, and then I just want to take a couple of minutes to, to offer some advice uh, on praying. Let's stand and sing. In. Now, let me just um, offer some advice, I think, I hope, from Scripture, because we do always need to learn how to pray. And 
I think if you know that Jesus is praying for you and the Holy Spirit is praying for you, that it's kind of, you are like the wee kid that's making the pancakes. You know your mom's going to make them turn out all right in the end anyway. Um, and he'll do that with our prayers. If you're not a Christian, then you should pray that God would make you one. That's, that's your first prayer, really. For those of us who are believers, pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray in the Spirit. Make it real. Pray. Ask God's Spirit to work in your life. I think that, and there's all different kinds of prayers and requests. To pray together. It is difficult very often for us to pray on our own. And I've found it so many times that being in a prayer meeting with people, even if I didn't want to go, has just been so helpful. Even if you haven't prayed out loud, it's just been helpful praying with other people. It's great to say the amen uh, with other people. It's just a, a wonderful thing. And that's why I'd encourage you to be involved in the home groups or come along on a Sunday morning to pray. Pray, uh, in, pray every day in your own home. Now, here's a simple thing. Just whatever time you normally get up, set your alarm half an hour earlier. Don't do that, oh, I'm not a morning person thing. No, no, no. No, no, you, you get up to go to work. You get up to do. Get up, set your alarm half an hour earlier. Oh, but I'm tired. Right, go to bed half an hour earlier. It's, it's not difficult. You know, imagine that your beloved, the person you love the most, was in Australia and you had to get up early to talk to them. You're going to be going, oh, I can't get up early. I can't do this. You're showing where your desires are. And when people go, oh, but I pray all the time during the day. No, you don't. You're lying. You don't. I've never met anyone like that. I've met people who say they do, and then you discover, no, they don't. Nobody does. There's a reason we set aside time. So keep an appointment. Make an appointment with God. Do it at night. If you're, if you're the person who's wide awake at midnight, fine. Do it at midnight. But spend time each day in prayer. Um, pray the Bible. Pray with the Bible. Pray the prayers of the Bible. When you pray, read the Bible. Make sure you don't, some of us are, like reading the Bible and just crowd it out, but forget prayers, two-way conversation, God's Word talking to us and us responding. Read the Bible prayerfully. As I love using the McShane calendar, praying through that. But find some way that you regularly read the Bible. Pray about prayer. Ask the Lord to teach you to pray. Read a good book on prayer, probably one every year if you can. Um, for me, Tim Keller's book on prayer is just brilliant because it's the summary of all the best books I've ever read on prayer. Um, and I've just, I just found it really, really helpful. Um, I mean, don't get into the habit of reading books about prayer and never praying, which some people do. And don't get into the habit, by the way, of reading Bible notes and never reading the Bible. That's a trap we can all fall into as well. So you don't know how to pray? Lord, teach us how to pray. Number six, seeks to have your heart changed, to be forgiven, to be filled with the Spirit. The biggest need you and I have in prayer is for our hearts to change. And I pray often, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Or Lord, cleanse my heart. And sometimes those of you who struggle with doubts, have you ever prayed this prayer? Lord, I want to be a Christian. I thought I was a Christian. I'm not sure if I am a Christian. But if I'm not one, make me one now. You know, you, 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 they're so simple. So simple. If you're worried about places that you're going, they're not good. Just think about this. Every time you come out, a pub or a cinema or whatever, 
Can you go home, get on your knees and say, thank you, Lord, for taking me to that place? If you can't, don't. It's fairly straightforward. Seek to have your heart changed. And then this, pray with confidence because you have help. Because it's not your prayers, it's not your abilities, it's not your spirituality or whatever you want to call it. It's not your techniques. You pray because the Father loves you, the Son intercedes for you, and as we have seen, the Spirit intercedes for you. You can have just this incredible confidence in prayer. The devil is always seeking to get us to doubt. The devil is always seeking to push us away from prayer. We have lots of rotors and different things in this church. And I guess, you know, it's great. Sign up. We need them. We need stuff done. It's wonderful. But I tell you this, I wouldn't worry two hoots about any rota at all being filled or any Sunday school teachers if I knew that every single person who's a Christian in this congregation prayed. Because God's not going to let you be. You pray, you really mean it. You will hear the Father's heart. You'll know. Prayer is such a wonderful privilege. Let's make use of it. Let's uh, say together the Lord's Prayer, which is a pattern for our prayer. And we'll say this to finish, and then uh, I'll pray, and then uh, after again, and then we'll sing. So let's say this together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen, Lord. Yes, we ask that you would teach us to pray. We ask that your Holy Spirit would work in our hearts, in the theater of our hearts, so that as we know that Jesus, that you, Lord Jesus, intercede for us in heaven, so the Spirit would be working within us the longings and the desires that you wish to fulfill. Lord, go deep. Go real deep. Deep calls unto deep. Our God, we're scared of going deep. We're frightened of what might be there. But you know, and you cleanse and you forgive. Help us to hear your voice in your name. Amen. Let's uh, sing together a wonderful, beautiful hymn, uh, I Heard the Voice of Jesus Say, Come Unto Me and Rest. Let's stand and sing, and then please remain standing for the benediction. <laughs>